from the international headquarters of the Sword of the Lord Publishers and Ministries here in downtown Murfreesboro, Tennessee. This is Dr. Shelton Smith, and this is Making a Difference. And it is the last week of December. 2021 is about to be history, and we're looking straight on, right into the face of 2022. Now, I know as Christians, we keep looking up, and we keep thinking one of these days, it will be the day when the Lord's going to return. We do believe in the second coming of Christ, in the pre-tribulational, pre-millennial second coming of Christ, coming before the great tribulation, coming before the millennial reign of Christ, all of that. We're looking up. We're looking for the Lord to return. But in the meantime, the Bible tells us that we are to occupy Luke chapter 19 says very clearly, Jesus said, occupy till I come. And so it is that you and I need to simply be busy, be alert, be motivated, just simply stay at the task the Lord has given us to do. And if we do that, then we are on track, whether the Lord returns today or if it's 100 years from now. Whatever the case, we're looking at just finding the will of God and doing it. This week, I'm talking to you about the matter of revival. Yesterday, we talked about the revival we need. Today, I want to consider the prerequisites to revival. I said to you yesterday that really, whether or not you have a citywide revival where thousands of people come to Christ and where everything gets in place like it ought to be, or whether there's some national revival or not, you and I can have revival. Personally, we can have revival. Our churches individually can have real revival where we get things right, we get things on track, we get things going like they ought to, and we are doing what God would have us to do. Now, we're building off of this passage in Psalm 85 where the psalmist prayed and he said, verses 4, 5, and 6, Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? It's a worthy goal to get the joy of the Lord. It is a worthy consideration that we would literally have a joyful heart, a joyful experience, and enjoy the joy of the Lord day by day as we go. But we will need to keep our lives on track. Now, if you look at Psalm 85, there are several considerations that really help us to get focused on what really needs to happen previous to the coming of revival. Now, let me just simply say, number one, it is important that we build upon the Word of God. If we find the truth, then we have a good foundation. That truth is found in the Word of God, not just here in Psalm 85, but on every page of all of the Bible, you'll find the truth of God. And when you find the Word of God, thus you can consider doing the will of God. You're not going to know the will of God till you know the Word of God. And getting the will of God set in place in your life is a vital consideration. If you get the will of God going like it needs to go in your life, that old nature will be pushed into the background. The new man, the new nature will begin to dominate, and your life will take on a whole new look to it simply because that you have found the will of God. Along with the Word of God and the will of God, you'll also discover the wisdom of God. 
Man sometimes thinks that he can figure things out on his own. We feel like we have enough brain power to always know what to do, when to do it, how to go about it. Well, the fact is the track record of history demonstrates pretty clearly that man individually or men corporately and collectively does not have the wisdom to know how to live, to how to build relationships, to how to build a society, how to govern themselves in a good, sane, decent, and orderly manner. What do we need? Well, we need the wisdom of God. That's why when you read the Psalms, you read the Proverbs, you read the Epistles, you read a lot of things in the Bible, you discover that God has very, very wonderfully laid out His wisdom so that we know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, and other such things as that, that will enable us to build in a way that is good and constructive and right and holy and pleasant. I mean, all of the good things. And at the same time, he reveals to us his wisdom so that we're able to spot the wrong things and put those to one side. So what we're looking at here, the Word of God, the will of God, the wisdom of God leads us to do the things, the ways of God. In other words, God does have a way that he does things, and you and I will do well to follow that, to copy that, and to make that a part of our life as well. So what are the prerequisites to revival? Well, when I read this chapter, I find him talking about salvation, and it is imperative that if you and I have revival— if we get things back in place, get the joy flowing in our life like it should, and get ourselves functioning in the service of the Lord like we ought to, it is necessary that we have our redemption secured. Salvation is mentioned several times in this chapter. And in setting aside the issue of salvation, first of all, I just simply make the point, nothing is going to work right unless we have our redemption secured. Verse number four, he talks about the people of God when he says in a prayer, turn us, O God, of our salvation. That is to say, some of them were indeed saved. Some of them were indeed the sons and daughters of the living God. But then later in verse number seven, he says, and grant us thy salvation. Looks to me as though that there were some people, they were out of the will of God. They were not following the Lord. They were not indeed in tune with the Lord, and they needed to get what God offers as a free gift. So getting redemption secured is imperative if you and I enjoy the blessings, the full blessing of revival as God would give it to us. Second thing that I would suggest that I find here in this chapter is that we need to get truth fully established. Verse 10, for example, says, mercy and truth are met together. That simply tells me that when I am made the recipient of the mercy of God, I also have available to me the truth of God. And getting truth established is a key to revival. If you build on false teaching, on false doctrine, if you make up things like the way you think you would like for it to be, and it does not line up with what God says it ought to be, then you've created a false teaching, a false doctrine. And that is never going to fly. It's never going to make the grade that it ought to make. And so truth needs to be established. Then a third thing that is involved here is the matter of us surrendering ourselves to the Lord. It's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to yield to it. And in verse 4, he says, turn us. What's he talking about? He's asking the Lord to give us what we need so that we will make the turn 
and make the turn that we need to make in order to have the full blessing of God. In verse number six, he says, revive us. That's like asking the Lord to do something to convict us and to encourage us, to motivate us so that we will, in fact, yield ourselves to him. Then not only to surrender ourselves to him, but there are indications here that we ought to repent of whatever has gone wrong. In verse seven, he says, show us thy mercy, O Lord. But why would he ask for that? Well, he would ask for it because it's something we need. We cannot, by our own efforts, bail ourselves out. We're not ever going to be able to do for ourselves what we need to have done. And when we have messed things up, believe me, it is the mercy of God that will help us to get it right. God in his goodness, God in his love, God in his generosity will show us what we need and make it possible for us to pave the road, get things back like where they need to be. Verse 8 of this chapter, in the last part of it, says, And let them not return again to folly. Talking about the sons and daughters of God, the saints of God. And it simply indicates that, uh, yes, we could mess up. We could turn things the wrong way. But he's asking God for strength so that we will not head in the wrong direction. Verse 9 says, Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him coming to the place where we have the right awe for the awesome God. He is awesome, and we ought to have awe toward him. We ought to have the right respect for him. We ought to show the right deference to him and whatever that he has to say to us. And if we'll do that, that's really all indications that we're turning around. We're turning things back right. And I just use the word repentance here. It's a good New Testament word primarily, but it's literally laid here in this passage in such a way that it reminds me that if I change my mind, get my mind focused like it ought to be focused, then it points us toward revival. Another thing I see here in this passage is some indication that it's important for us to give the Lord his rightful place. If man does what man can do, he will find himself doing a lot of things that he doesn't need to do. But whenever we listen to God, and there is a verse here that simply says, verse 8 says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. So when God speaks, what should we do? We should listen to what he has to say and be obedient to that. Or, as I have put it, give the Lord his rightful place. Verse 8 talks about that, and then it says, He will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. There will be good things happening to us whenever we shut the world out and shut ourselves in with the Lord and with his people, and the result of that is always going to be fruitful. It's going to be productive for us. It's going to produce the right things. If you look down at verse 13, one other consideration here. Verse 13, the last part of the verse says, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Whenever we begin to get this on track, like we should, we're going to walk uprightly. We're not going to be out cavorting with the world, but we're going to be listening to God, making our way the same way that he has laid out before us so that his way becomes our way. And it just simply means we walk uprightly. We don't go out doing crazy things like the world does it. And the result of all of this is that we're laying the groundwork, paving the way, putting the foundation down so that we really can have the sweet blessings of revival. In fact, one of the things, I mentioned the word blessing there, the early part of this chapter talks about how God had blessed the nation in spite of the fact that they were really not living up to what they should be doing. Uh, Verse 1, 2, and 3 says, Thou hast been favorable unto thy land. 
Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath, which thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. So all of this is the blessing of God. This is God simply being good to people who were not being good. People that needed something that they themselves could not produce, God was giving them the blessing that they needed. Now, one by one, you and I could stop and just count blessing after blessing and know that we are privileged people. We are blessed people. God is so good to us, even when things are not quite where they need to be. And you and I need to know that that blessing that God gives is something we ought to respond to in a positive way, and it ought to draw us closer to Him. When God is good to us, we ought not to just back off and say, well, that'll all just keep coming. No, we need to draw closer and closer to Him with every passing day. And the result of that would be that we'd begin to pray the prayer that is prayed here. When the psalmist said, will thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? So what are we looking at? We're looking at getting things so in tune with God that the people of God rejoice. The people of God are excited. There's new energy in the service of the Lord. And then all kinds of good things happen. The last part of this chapter talks about peace. It talks about mercy and truth and righteousness and how all of that just develops because that revival has come. Dear friends, I'm telling you, we can have revival, but there is a price to be paid. So let's remember that we can have it, and we can have it personally and individually. We look forward to being with you again tomorrow, and I'm going to be talking some more about revival on the broadcast tomorrow, and I trust you'll be right here on this station at this time. We'll look forward to it. In the meantime, I would love to hear from you, so write me a note. Write to me, Dr. Shelton Smith, at P.O. Box 1099, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 37133. The email address is radio at swordofthelord.com, and check us out on our website, at swordofthelord.com. Until tomorrow, God bless you. Have a good rest of the day and goodbye for now.